supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fire Club. I'm Glenn Falcon from the Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. I am back, baby. Back after federal budget. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff happening in the world of politics, American, Australia, and otherwise this week. We're not covering that because we're covering movies. We're covering two this week, one of which is Irresistible, but enough about me. And the other, which is uh, The Devil All the Time, but also enough about me. So <laughs> This is the best show you've actually had uh, in the entirety of Philip Fight Club. I, sometimes the titles just line up. It all just works. Yep. <laughs> so before we get into the news of the week, or should, we'll talk about the events that are happening this week. The uh, moving bed slash moving car is having screenings, as is the Sydney Open Air with the Disney Drive-In and the Karingai Drive-In, which you can all access. Um, the Queer Screen are having an event literally tonight. So if you finish listening to the Film Fight Club, you can run off to that. The Adelaide Film Festival is starting tomorrow uh, sorry today and some of their events are streaming online as is the sit down stuff and watch film the new media festival which is also screening and streaming out of south australia the intended documentary film festival has an events on friday and sunday night the fantastic film festival australia has an event on october 16th also at the ritz is the um, Cinema Reborn retrospective, which is continuing on every week, as is the David Lynch retrospective. I've stuck in the compulsory David Lynch reference there. And, Appreciated. Um, and yeah, so that's the upcoming events. But to talk quickly about an event that happened this week, SF3 number six occurred on Saturday. It was a film screening of Threshold and the 16 finalists. Um, as mentioned, I was actually very proud of this. Uh, I was part of one of the film crews, one of the finalists for just one number to be directed by Roxanne Prophet, which was nice. So got to be a Yay, finalist. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was nice. It was actually just really nice to be back at the cinema. There was definitely a vibe where a lot of the filmmakers, some of them were first time filmmakers, were kind of just glad to be in the crowd. It was simultaneously streamed. They did have a sellout crowd. It wasn't capacity, but it was capacity in these COVID times, but it was um, sold out. Um, as the cinematography winner said, I'm quoting here, a lot of festivals cancelled because of COVID. So it's your old testament that you went ahead this year. Um, a lot of cancelled, understandably, for good reason. Some the ones that were able to go ahead. Some chose to, and SF3 did, so good on them for having this event and for facilitating it for those who could appear in person. Um, there were some great, great films. The winner was a French film, The Lost Pen by Barat Gokus. It actually wasn't my favourite of the films this year. It was the first finalist to ever be a single shot film, and it was also in black and white. It's a big trend now. We've seen it many, many times since Birdman and the form while interesting and the story while interesting. It was, it was going bef before style. Birdman. Honestly, when Birdman came out, it was already a little bit of a, like a played out stunt in art films, I would say. And since then, do it's you, just become really worn into the ground. That's yeah, not to say you, people you, can't do a good job of it, but I'm done with do it you, for now. Do you, do you remember that meme, Chris, about, you know, how many single shot, uh, how many film cliches can you fit in a short film? And it's like, yes. Hmm. It's just it's one of like this one. Single shot, and the black and black white. And white. So black and white, single shot, you know, uh, probably artistic in terms of no plot, but it's talking about meta themes. So, yeah. Cool. Well, no, I'll give the film credit then. It had a really interesting premise. It was a, it was a, little, a real story about journalists in ex from various countries in exile who were living in France. It's a great premise. 
Um, the one shot, I don't know how much you complimented it that well. It was a nicely put together film. The better ones though, the one, my favorite was actually all three were from Sydney filmmakers. Sean Luther, the best cinematographer winner from Aruba for Hollow Hands. It was about a drug, uh, drug deal and about a bag of cash. And it's just that nice tone of a really serious matter, but very lighthearted. And for a low budget film, a very convincing fight scene. Also another film about drugs and a bag of cash from uh, Rose Bay, uh, filmmakers Annabelle Hart and Chloe Brisk. Hen's Night was really fun. It was about using the pretext of a Hen's Night to go on the run. And also a really fun one, The 32nd Man by Steve McGrath from Camperdown, who was who recognized for many commercials and just living life 30 seconds at a time as a commercial man, which is quite great. So well done to- Sounds Alex like and Alex. what a lot of, sorry, sounds like what a lot of people have been doing during COVID, living life 30 seconds at a time. There are a lot of films that tapped into COVID pretty well. Right. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of COVID things, including ours. Um, and yeah, more entries than ever this year. So um, to Ellie and Angela, well done. And, and I know Andrew's opening for SF3, 2021 soon but for now uh we're moving away from covid away from uh, things happening locally and talking irresistible oh we said we weren't going to cover american politics but damn it we are yeah this movie is from john stewart it opens in theaters uh, uh, tomorrow in the as wide a release as i'm sure anything's going to get post the tenant cratering uh it's about a political hack played by steve carell who stumbles upon an irresistible hook in a guy who plays to all the cliches in the media about um, small town values versus big city liberals, um, but has a progressive liberal-minded view. Who And uh, he's filmed giving a speech at a town hall. Um, yeah, counter to uh, policy uh, of the mayor. The basic yeah, conceit of the film is essentially that, you know, uh, Steve Carell's character is trying to somehow insinuate that if I get a Democratic candidate uh, elected in deep Republican territory, I can somehow leverage that and Democrats are going to win the next election. Yeah, so this guy is, as per the title, irresistible to someone like Steve Carell because he, he sees this potentially grassroots, real deal, all-American, progressive in uh, Republican clothing <laughs> and thinks if we get this guy prominence as a politician and a media figure, maybe that can help us win back the states that Trump seems to have cemented as Republican territory forever. I just um, asked, is Trump, is Trump the president in this movie? Yes, it opens yes. with the 2016 election. 2016, and a bunch of, yeah. A bunch of sound clips of Trump speaking to set the tone. So this is uh, attempting to be a post-Trump political satire, yeah. and it's from John Stewart. So it might be the first major political commentary we've had from John Stewart in the Trump era in its way. Um, so it yeah. turns into a kind of political Doc Hollywood kind of thing. This fish out of water, you know, big city guy comes to the rural town. He has to learn the ways because he decides to manage this guy's mayoral campaign. He makes friends with the locals and... Um, you know, it seems things seem it to kind of become more like a like a Frederick Weisman Daco kind of feel to it in those well, moments, and it's more like small town sensibility, trying to understand how small town politics works and like city hall yeah. dealings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the big turning point and the source of conflict is that the Republicans realize what he's doing, and Steve Carell's rival, played by Rose Byrne, comes to town to try to manage. I mean, she's the, hilarious. She's hilarious to try to manage the opposition's campaign. 
So um, this movie is very likable just because the actors are so great. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Steve Carell is fantastic in this kind of role. Like, he's more likable than Rose Byrne, but he's still a smug political animal, you know? Um, yeah. It, the movie tries really hard not to condescend to rural, real American yeah. types. If anything, it's well, flattering. To try hard. Sorry? I mean, it should be easy not to but, condescend I, to... But, I, well, but, you know, but, I understand that a lot of films aren't coming from the perspective of, or made, or originating from these areas or yeah i mean on the west or east coasts john stewart is your typical smug city liberal right so I, I, concern, yeah. I feel like it's clearly by design that he's trying to subvert that so he the most of the jokes are at the expense of smug washington types i mean it's it, it's funny i think it's it's a bit self-aware as well because he's taking that pot shot of that aaron sorkin-esque kind of mm. self aggrandizing liberal elite, which is so convinced of its own righteousness that I'm doing yeah, this for the greater good. Yeah, sorry. So it's a, it's a similar kind of shtick here where Steve Carell's character actually feels like he's doing something good, but he comes across as incredibly self-centered because yeah. it is only for him and in, in his mind, he's doing something great, great, but he's actually not. He's just fulfilling his own ambitions in the end. Yeah, he does have some positive and genuinely good qualities about him, but they're buried yeah. beneath a lot of disingenuous, playing by the rules of the system kind of nonsense. Um, this movie definitely shows a bias towards Democrats, but it, the, the basic opinion it seems to be putting forward is that Democrats are bad and Republicans are much worse. And it's, the entire, it's The Daily Show. Yeah, <laughs> it's The Daily Show. That's right. And here's my rant about how the entire system is broken. But um, at least uh, I was at least happy that Rose Byrne's character wasn't touted to be, you know, there weren't all those stereotypical cliches that, oh, look at family values, uh, immigration, uh, whistle, you know, dog whistling. She was more like other. Kellyanne Conway. She was Kellyanne Conway. Yes. <laughs> she's this. Like you can remember her name, Chris, even if Joe Biden couldn't. Right. Um, yeah, she's this soulless, manipulative, person who lying comes incredibly easy to uh, she's pathological but in a way that she's unabashedly like open about it she's not trying to apologize for it yeah so basically it, if this isn't coming across what i really liked about this film um was like its patience with the character you know getting to know the characters bringing you into this narrative it's a very old-fashioned kind of pleasure that this movie has going for it um, it's very gentle. Well, it's it's funny. It's clearly trying not to be a really hard-hitting political film. I think Stuart wants it to be accessible to everyone and doesn't want to alienate people from across the aisle from him politically. Um, some people have taken it to task for that. I personally was fine with that. Yes. Uh, I, I think what it works better as a film, which is exploring the tension between city life and rural life, right? When mm. it's trying to explore almost like a portrait and, and, a, and a collage of what mid-city America is, uh, mid-life America, mid-city America is like, and how people mm -hmm. live their lives, how everyone knows each other, the small tight-knit communities, and how basically they get manipulated by everyone because they take everything at face mm -hmm. value. They're mostly people who trust other people and they're not likely to be, you know, they got feeling, yeah. they, love, they love country, America, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so... It's a basically amusing comedy um, with some sort of gentle observations on hypocrisies and little ways the system is broken. Um, it is rather slight. It could be more heavy hitting, but as Trump would say, it is what it is. 
but the where it really came unstuck for me is the ending. I think oh, he's God. going. I, I without spoiling it, Stuart throws in a last minute twist, which tries to um, bring about a bigger satire of the craziness of the workings and the ins and outs and rules um, uh, over the democratic process in America. But it ends up, I think, just pulling the rug out from a narrative that was already working. It's trying to be too ambitious and undermining the the sort of simple way this film was working. He's going for this massive, heavy hitting conclusion. Um, It it, 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 it isn't a film about you know the system and the systemic corruption and, it, and the system is broken but it and it suddenly that tries to line, become about that yeah yeah, yeah it, it suddenly it, it tries totally to become about that and for me that just film. yeah and for me that undermined the way the film was already working because it's already successful and interesting as a political satire um yeah. in its own simple way and then suddenly he's trying way too hard to make this some kind of yeah Especially, especially in showing how statement. actually people from the city do not know anything about what people in the Midwest live, live like. Like there mm-hmm. is an actual gap in understanding and the lives of these people and what yeah. is important to each of these segments. So like, yeah. I think that was communicated really well. And I think that's one of the major takeaways but, from the film. What state did you say it was set in? Okay, it's funny when it opens. I've forgotten where it's actually uh, set, as become is revealed later in the narrative. But I remember the opening title very well, where you, the location is introduced as something like "Real or Rural America, Heartland, USA." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, the the big twist at the end really stretches believability. And I, I don't understand why you would undermine a pretty well-constructed narrative and everything it was doing. Um, I think that, you know, the pulling the rug out from under you has become way too valued in our culture, you know, ever since Shyamalan twists really uh, got everyone talking. So that is irresistible. Um, the moment you didn't mention Chris Cooper, I was... He's so good in it! I was watching the next film, kind of wondering, God, where is Chris Cooper? Right. Be in this. And I realized, oh, he's in this other movie. Yeah, so that's uh, that's America. It's in cinemas tomorrow. But And uh, yeah, election soon. I wonder if this will play better after the election. Maybe um, people won't be so put off by it being rather slight because I think there's the feeling a lot of people have that everything has to be heavy hitting where in such dark times Trump is in. Maybe if Trump goes out uh, after this election, people will reevaluate it. We'll see. So yeah, that's from a big daddy star, John Stewart. And next up, we're talking about the devil all the time. This is currently screening on Netflix. It stars everyone who isn't Chris Cooper. Man, the cast is crazy, right? The cast is insane. Yeah. I mean, just Bill Skarsgård and uh, Sebastian Stan look a lot like each other. So this, this didn't help. But they're both in it. Um, Tom Holland's in it. Haley Bennett's in it. Riley Coe, Jason Clark, Rob Pattinson, who we'll discuss in more detail later. Mia Maskowska. Um, Eliza Scanlon. Eliza Scanlon. So this is set over a few decades, also in rural America with a very different tone. It is about a, a couple, a few communities and broadly speaking, the impact that um, religiosity 
and conservatism and living a rural lifestyle have on individuals from a lower, predominantly lower SDS background. But see, that's reading some um, meaning into the film. That I, I'm not even sure this film, you could, uh, this, this was you just could say like, there's pot shots at religion for sure. But like, ultimately, isn't this just seemed to be some pretentious, want to be like McCarthy rumination on evil with Southern Gothic motifs thrown everywhere. This was, this was as if like Mandy was made. No, it's nothing like Mandy. On, on acid, like if actually if Mandy was actually made on acid, no, is it Mandy wasn't no, no, no. made on acid? Th this was yes. Yeah. This is like yeah. if if um, okay, oh okay, no, this... I have no Mandy, I have no quality Mandy analogies to make. Okay, this is the movie that you're you walk by Dendy Newtown at nine thirty on a Saturday night. There's a great post with a lot of cast members in the King Man that looks good. I probably said at some point I probably won't, but I'm going to go to Black Sheep and have some fun. Uh, that's that's this movie, you and, know what? and on this occasion you made the right call. Look, you know this... what? That that's what happened to people who went to song to song expecting a big spectacle, and then came out disappointed because they were no, 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 no. This this film doesn't sell itself to be anything that it isn't. Oh well, in some it ways, I, I think this movie is ultimately kind of pretentious. And neither did song to song of this. It's not what I'm saying about Terrence Malick. Right. Other reference I want to know that I dropped this week. I dropped both the Lynch <laughs> and Malick reference. Well done. Thank now, you. I think this movie, in some ways, I think is pretending to be something it isn't because it's going for such a self-serious tone. The whole way through the movie, you're wondering what, what it's going to have to say because surely, at least for the first hour, I was actually on board with this and thinking it was going to yeah, potentially- Have something profound to say. Yeah, about like- something, the, the, About something. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. The pileup of coincidences and murders, you know, at near the beginning, if you take a step back, it's silly, but looking at it, I was thinking I could see, I was on board very much with the telling as it was happening. And I was thinking that this could potentially build into something profound about forgiveness and letting go or random tragedy or something, yeah. you know, something it like seemed silence. like it could go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It seemed like it could, about things. Right. It seemed like it could go in, in those directions. And the thing is, it's very well made. So this isn't a film that as you watch it, you're probably going to be thinking this is horrible. It holds your attention on a moment by moment level really well because it's, it's well shot. The music's fantastic. The acting as you would hope for with this cast is great. Um, it's, it's well directed. But, but the movie finishes the, the, and you the, just the, are left with this thought like, what the pearl is the point of that? And, right. and as, as you get to the midway point, suddenly it's getting so absurd that the quality of the direction can't withhold, you know, can't save it anymore. And you start realizing how trashy it is. I was really on board with this movie when it started. Yeah. It has a real, had a real period Gothic element to it in that you were dealing with a great sense of the unknown. There's a shocking scene that they recreated on a battlefield in the Pacific, which we see very sparingly, which excellently set the tone as did a couple of the early sequences. I really enjoyed this. It feels that we're very much in a modern time, but we are dealing with elements of, um, of history that we, I guess, we would be more comfortable with having in the past and for a good reason. And we're looking at how they affect people. And this continued on. I, well, I didn't like the end of the film. I did like when suddenly we hear a bit of 60s music. We just feel, oh, a little bit closer to the time. The main problem with this is that, as said, there are so many people. There is a lot going on. I, I don't have a problem with the sprawling cast and epic narrative, but we barely get enough time with any to be really engaged. And there's rep repetition throughout each of the narrative arcs. I compare this 
to a film that I saw that came out several years ago in terms of its structure and in terms of just not being able to spend any appropriate time in any of characters. That's The Place Beyond the Pines. It's very, it's attempting to be similar in tone, trying to tell this great story, great epic narrative where a few families interweave and similarly falls over in that the really consequential characters who only get introduced or spend time with later in the piece. I'm referring, of course, to the Tom Holland character. Yes, we meet at the beginning of the film, but we don't importantly get to know until much later when he becomes interesting. I think that uh, analogy is actually too kind because A Place with Beyond the Pines also falls apart as it goes on um, and starts out much stronger than it finishes. Oh, oh, I'm comparing it. I'm saying that's what... I know, I know, but I still think that comparison's too kind because A Place Beyond the Pines is actually way more focused than this, even though it's too sprawling. Like, this movie is just absurdly sprawling. And yeah. A Place Beyond the Pines, at least at some point, all, like, you makes know, some steps to... Each other. You don't know that here. Yeah. The Place Beyond the Pines, at least a little bit, makes some grasps towards touching the profundity that it's going for, whereas this film is way more ultimately shallow and cheap and falls completely flat yeah. on its face while presenting itself like it has some grand statement. So, um, so aggrandizing. Yeah. Oh, I, so I, it's like the failures of Place Beyond the Pines are just magnified by 10 in this film. That's what I mean when I say that yeah. comparison is, is too kind. And I'm not a huge fan of that film at all. Instead of Devil All the Time, no, no, no. I think this film should have been called Coincidences All the Time. I'm willing to accept the one later coincidence where the stories merge. That was fine. It's, but it was just a little bit too much throughout. And so the actors were good, but it, I couldn't. You know, the, the first hour of the film also, when I was on board, is all coincidences too. But, you know, the telling has, is going well. And then when it starts to become more and more coincidences as it goes on, you know, there, there's, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief when the, when the filmmaking is good. And it, and it is, but there comes a point. It does, did make me wonder about how this works as a novel since it's based on a book. If, you know, because the writing could potentially be so good moment to mo- by moment that you don't get um, so overwhelmed by the stupidity of it in the second half. But then again, judging by the narration, which seems, since it's being read by the author of the book, seems to have been lifted from the, the book. I'm not so sure. But what you were saying, that the devil all the time, coincidences all the time. I think the devil all the time is actually a good title for this because it's just uh, about how everyone's bad all the time. Oh, God, um, yeah. It's, it's that trope again about, you know, when... In self-serious movies, we can constantly see this trope come up where everyone is evil, that nobody is redeemable because everyone is supposed to be bad and it's all gritty. There's no hope because everything... Yeah, and the the film tries to justify this by having it repeated as a mantra, something like, there's a lot of sons of bitches in this world or something like that. But... It's not enough to and just repeat that. And they're all in this that. film. That's it. And yeah, and, they, and they all live within a few kilometers of each other. It's not enough to just repeat that phrase and make me believe it. Like, I can buy watching a movie, you know, you know with a bunch of bad people. But you know, people this, here this are so, made, so incredibly... Like... A film that handled this, this well is uh, the sort of setting, the sort of environment, what they're trying to evoke them that followed the Olivia Coleman film, also about extremely religious people, all living together, a few families, very rural environment, but that had a sense of claustrophobia and eeriness. This didn't. 
the, these people are all so overwhelmingly bad that at a certain point, like I was saying, I'm willing to go with this. Like innocence, like, yeah. like lambs, and there's just bad, bad people in the world. Yeah, that's right. I was willing to go with this to a certain point, but then it just becomes wearying how relentlessly awful everyone is. And as you say, it's only lambs and bad, bad people. And when our, you know, our protagonist is forced to kill, you know, because of there being so many bad people in this world. Um, but there's, there's no kind of examination of the impact that really has on him. In this film has such a black and white, cheesy kind of view of righteous justice. And it, it's dressed up as if this is a grand statement by surrounding it with all these religious motifs and, and yeah. figures. But in reality, it's the Punisher. You know, it's Tom Holland in another superhero movie where all the bad Southern stereotypes need him to righteously shoot them. Like Pretty much. It's a Punisher with a cross, essentially. Like, you know. Uh, well, well, the Punisher did have a cross. But anyway, let's, um, but, let's you know, talk about what's good about this movie. And it's what very I like. well made. And it's not just that. The performances, let's talk about, my favourite was Robert Pattinson. That's part of what I mean, right? So, so it's very well made. Everyone's doing a good job. He... I think notably had his own original accent for this. He's very, you see preaching scenes in Sony movies, but he was exceptional in the few he had. I loved a scene where a character confronts him later and he has, you see him just get slowly and slowly more nervous. And so he's more maniacal sequences earlier on. I think this is Tom Holland's best performance. I really liked him in this. Yeah. Um, anyway, Sikowska, she, I wish we'd had more of her in this, but she was good. We referred earlier to um, Sebastian Stan. We've seen him in a lot of Marvel fare. He's great with dramatic work as we saw on I, Tonya and um, the Jonathan Demme film several years back, Ricky and the Flash. And he was good in this. All the actors are above good to very, very good, as in the case of Pattinson. I think he was the best in the show. It's never really good material or, I think, great direction to work with and should have been able to develop these characters over a much longer period. I would have watched a mini-series about or series about these guys. The thing is... I know it's a common criticism now that I made, and I think others have made but of other things, but hey, it's true. Um, if you get a tell Often, a narrative, you, may, you need a longer canvas. It's funny. A lot of the time we see filmmakers trying to do TV-like sprawling stories in film now, and we see TV shows that are way too padded out and would actually be better as like a two-hour film. Um, a lot of the projects aren't being made in the right medium. But this ultimately, I feel, is not that different from a recurring motif in this movie of these snuff murder photos that some of the characters work on since, you know, all the characters are evil. Yeah. I was say, Patrick people. and Co were good. And I liked their characterizations. I did too. Look, all these scenes, I think, are written pretty well. On a scene-by-scene -scene basis, this movie's great. It's well-written, acted, and directed with a great musical score and good cinematography. It's just the, what the overarching narrative it builds to and what it's telling you that's so awful we want um, to include these things but we don't necessarily get to string it together it felt like yeah. a bunch of really intense and good short films yeah but ultimately it's the morality of this film that really turns me off from it um and that morality being dressed up in all this self-seriousness i was talking about the, these snuff murder photos um it's described in the narration that uh, these, uh, one of the characters needs these photos of people in pain and dying um, in order to feel close to God. And the narration says, you know, what a sick son of a bitch or something like that. But ultimately, is this movie any different? Because it's making you stare at all this intense pain and suffering 
and then dressing it up with this religiosity as if witnessing this is going to add this sense of profundity. So how are we, if as viewers of this film, put in really any different position from this guy? We are, you know, the movie manipulates you to enjoy people's suffering and suggests there's some kind of, you know, profundity in witnessing death, but really it's just exploitation trash. You know, really it's just a, a movie that, um, it works in such a way that the damsel in distress, you know, the one moment that her knight in shining armor is gone, you know, the the predators sweep in and, you know, now it's time for payback. It's, it's, it's oppression porn, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's like misery porn. Um, but worse than that, because it's not just about, like, um, you know, witness the tragedy. It's also about righteous murder. Yeah. I mean, it's justifying. It's vigilante justice. It has to justify that end goal of vigilantism in the in this kind of world is like you know oh you know yeah. because everyone is bad doggy dog man-eat man you know the wild west kind of a feel to it and ultimately the story is just too absurd at the end of it yeah. i was thinking imagine trying to explain the pileup of bodies and coincidences that we have by a film's end in a law court imagine a lawyer and, selling that to and, people would anyone believe it just half the people in this community are gone. It's like Midsummer Murders, but <laughs> again, taking itself way, way too seriously. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is uh, The Devil All the Time. It is now streaming on Netflix. Irresistible is in cinemas tomorrow. SF3 is available to watch at sf3.com.au, all the finalist films. And we'll be back next week with more movies. Let us know what you want us to fight about. Stay safe. This has been Glenn Falcons and Chris Evans of Rotten Have a wonderful, whenever you're listening, enjoy movies. Good night.